So last year we, we did a survey of the New Testament um, and went through the entire New Testament. This, this year we're going to spend the year in the book of Psalms, uh, one each week. And so we'll be in uh, Psalm chapter 4 this morning. And it, it's good for us to be reminded of why we gather and why we want to open up and look at the New Testament, spend time in the Old Testament, and get a balance of the whole counsel of God's Word. Uh, because this, this is not the ordinary book. It's not any book that you can go get from any library. This is a special book. This is a book that has been given to us by the God who speaks. The God who speaks that uh, in the beginning God spoke the world into existence. His voice has power, and it was and it brought things into reality that did not exist. And then he has spoken through the prophets and through uh, the writings, and then Hebrews reminds us that he spoke through his son. But he's given us the preserved word of God for our good that we might know him, that he has revealed himself, his activity, his plan of redemption for us in these pages. And as we come to the Bible, looking at it as a, not just a collection of 66 books, but as one book with a thread of God's uh, redemptive plan woven all throughout, and that every passage is, in, is his inspired word that speaks to us, and, and it has profit for us, as we will do the work to dig in and understand what it meant, and what it means, and, uh, and what we do. So, uh, and, and sometimes I, I like to go back through with the, my youth group to talk about how special the book is, because it is, it is a collection of 66 books written by over 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 plus years on three different continents and three different languages, and yet, and it speaks of many diverse and difficult topics, but has one cohesive message. I mean, if we were to play the game of telephone in this room right now, uh, we would mess up one story that's just being passed from one person to one person, but to get 40 different authors, most of whom never met each other, uh, living in different times to write a message that is consistent and cohesive and true to the nature and character of God is a divine act, and yet it is an act that God did not just by um, dictating his word, but by using the person, their personality, their education, uh, their life experiences in their writings and in their current circumstances, and then through their story reveals his story, which we find ourselves in his story. And so when we uh, then want to look at the book of Psalms, why, um, as in last week, Mark would go back in and look at the story of Absalom and, and talk about David's encounter with his son and, um, and, and spend time there before we get here is so that we can put all those pieces together and, uh, and, and look at it and, and just enjoy what God's doing. And the more we dig in and the more we understand, the more we apply, the more we will hear God's voice, the more we will see his presence and feel him in our daily life, and the more healing um, of our soul he will bring. And, uh, and that's, that's what we long for, to, to know him, to see him, to experience him in our life. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, as we open up Psalm 4, this one opens up, says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Last week, we had the luxury of it saying uh, that it was written during the time of his son Absalom trying to usurp his authority and take over his kingdom. Uh, many commentators have think that Psalm 4 
actually is a companion of Psalm 3. Uh, and they base it based on verse 5 in, in chapter 3 says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. And so this is the morning lament that he would have had. And then Psalm 4 verse 8 says, in peace I both lay down and sleep. So this is an eat, like, so they would, they connect them by one being the morning prayer and one being an evening prayer, which it may be, but it's also being uh, listed to the choir master with string instrument that this is a psalm that is recommended for the congregation to know, to own, to sing, because it resonates with our life experiences. And hopefully as we go through that this morning, we can bring out some of those, those points. Um, but I do think in the, in the, consistency of the the text that I could very well see how Psalm 4 was written as he was processing his son Absalom's rebellion as uh, we talked about last week and so I won't go and review all of that I encourage you to go online and listen to brother Mark's sermon who uh, recounted a lot of that for us um, but we will be building off some of those very foundational points so let's read Psalm chapter 4 in its entirety this morning which is only eight verses so that's nice um, answer me when I call, O God, my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have uh, when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And that's where we'll end our reading for now. Um, I call this a, a lament of the righteous. Uh, and uh, I'm going to do a summary statement for us this morning. The lament of the righteous recalls the faithful provision of God in the past, empties themselves of their complaint to God, and reminds themselves of truth and rests in the peace and safety of the Lord. And we're going to walk through that today in, in Psalm chapter 4. And I think it's important that we learn to lament and make it a regular part of our life. One uh, commentator said, to cry is human, to lament is Christian. And uh, as we recognize um, life is difficult and we communicate the difficulties and struggles of life to our God, recognizing that God invites that of us. He wants us to bring our complaint to him, to, to bring our distress and our struggles to him. And we encounter him by emptying ourselves of that so that we can you know, position ourselves to hear clearly from him. And I think that here uh, uh, we get a beautiful example of a lament uh, in this passage. And so he starts off with recalling the Lord's faithfulness or recalling his provision. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. This is the urgency of him calling out to God. 
Uh, other passages say, hear me, O God, in my distress. Uh, as I was thinking about this, some translations do say, hear me, uh, God. Some say, answer me. Uh, and in a, in a Hebrew understanding of to hear is to hear and to do, to hear and to respond. James tells us, don't just hear the word and not do it. That deceives ourselves. To truly hear God's word is to hear it and obey it. And so this context of answer me when I call, there's this understanding that I'm asking you to hear my prayer, hear my complaint, and do something about it. It's what he's calling. And, and I think all of us have been in places in our life where life is overwhelming and we're just kind of like have an urgency, like, God, can you hear me? Do you see this? Do you know what's happening? Can you show up in this moment? Hear my prayer. Oh God, my righteousness, of my righteousness, that God is the righteous one. And it's a good reminder as he prays this out to that, that God is good, that he is right, that he is true, and he is our righteousness. And then he says, you have uh, given me relief when I was in distress. That um, when he recalls the Lord's faithfulness, God is righteous, and God has already in the past answered prayers. And this, uh, this understanding of uh, the relief uh, when I was in distress, but like it, it's the concept of being trapped in a tight space and then released into like a broad meadow. It's like I, I, I felt the pressures caving in before, and you have lifted that burden in the past. I know you have been faithful. And it's always a good thing for us to do to step back and remember the good things that God has done. Remember the good things as true stories throughout the biblical story, but also then uh, to recount the specific things in, in our lives and your own life that God has done, the good things He has done. And the more regular we get into practice of doing that, the more we're actually looking for God to do things in our life, the more we'll see Him doing in our life specifically. Sometimes God's doing stuff all around us and we're just blind to it because we've uh, just filled our minds and our hearts with other things that distract us from God's activity. So years ago, um, I, I went on a, a sabbatical. My very first sabbatical was a, a time where I was going through a, a phase of burnout and struggle, and so I went to our elders and asked for uh, some time just to, uh, for healing. Uh, and if you have ever experienced burnout or stress uh, to a point, I was just like, I don't want, I recognized something in me that was not healthy, and I didn't want to blow up on somebody um, and do damage to the ministry. So I asked for a sabbatical, and, uh, and the, the elders graciously gave me time to get away. And uh, my very first week, I, uh, I was given a cabin in the, the woods of southern Ohio, and I just, I did technology-free week, just my Bible, just a notebook, um, just praying, hiking, praying, talking to God, writing things. And one day, I was just like, I just want to just recount as much of God's faithfulness and, and the story of the Word of God. How much of the story can I do? I was on a hike. I didn't have my Bible with me. didn't have a phone or an app. And I'm like, let's just start in the beginning and just start talking through the whole Bible story. How much can I remember? And, just, and it, was a, it was a fun exercise. Um, I re it revealed how little I remembered and, and had to go back to. And, and there was times where I would start talking and be like, oh, wait a second, I forgot about this. And so that was a practice there. But then also then took some time where I want to just go back through my life. How has God 
brought me to this place? What are the things that he has done and proved himself faithful? And those are building blocks for coming out of distress. Those are building blocks for getting clarity that God is an active God, that God has a plan and is working a plan, and he has a plan in your life, and he's working a plan in your life. Are we paying attention to it? Can we recall the faithfulness of God? And then he reminds himself that the Lord had set him apart. The Lord sets apart the godly, uh, he says. You, um, and uh, in verse 3, this is part of recounting the, the, the recalling the faithfulness that God anointed him, chose him, and brought him to this place. And even in his distress and things going wrong, he remembered the calling of God on his life. Uh, <clears throat> for anyone who's in Christ, a follower of Christ, to go back to that day and remember the time when you first started following Christ. What was God doing in your life? How did he draw you to himself? And like, you set me apart. You called me, and you, you uh, revealed yourself to me. You saved me, and these are things we want to look at. In Revelation, uh, uh, when talking to the church, it says, come back to your first love, to stop and remember the, the first works. When God did that, and you were full of love and excitement for Jesus, these are the things we want to go back and recount. And then later uh, in verse 7, he's recounting the fact that God puts joy in our heart. And we'll get more to that in a moment. But as we, uh, as we were just singing, uh, which I, I always love to just pause and just thank our, our praise and worship leaders here, where I just know that God works in and through them and because they're seeking the Lord throughout the week and preparing. Uh, I had thought of a few songs to recommend to go along with my sermon and never talk to them about it and then to pick the song the new song we uh, we sang today is like it's perfect for the passage today like we we sang it um we could just leave right it's just the message is there everything we're going to talk about was what we just sang about we just sang bless the lord for he gives me himself uh, and recounting the faithfulness of god gives us himself also though i want to look at in first peter 1 3 through 5 says this blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see how Peter begins his book by recounting the faithfulness of God, that he made provision for us. And Paul writes in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That we are blessed in Christ because of God's faithful provision for us. But then we see in the second part of not only does he call out to God in his distress, calling out, reminding him of God's faithfulness, but he recounts his complaint. And verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? <clears throat> I think there's, there's two parts, two ways to look at this psalm. I think we could look through it and walk through our own life and ask ourselves these very questions. And then if, uh, if indeed this is song, uh, David writing about his son's rebellion, I can see this very, like, there are clear psalms where David writes about his enemies and we call some of them imprecatory psalms where they're just really full of, um, you know, 
God destroy these enemies. But here, if, he's, if indeed these are the ones where he's talking about his enemies, these, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? He's coming with compassion and love for his son. And not only was it his son Absalom rebelling, but one of his uh, confidants, his counselors, was now counseling his son against him. Uh, and friends, family, followers, all people that were near and dear to David were joining with Absalom and, uh, and following his son in, in his place. And David doesn't want to strike out and kill his son. David doesn't want to just use might to turn things over. Um, and he's conflicted because he loves these people. And, uh, and yet they're against him. And so, but he says, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? And you can get this as a father thinking through his son who was supposed to honor him is now being shameful to him and shaming him in his public shame. Now, as Mark pointed out, the situation has arisen because of David's unfaithfulness in his own life and his sin uh, has, has come on in to impact his family. And it's a good reminder for us to, to know that when we come to Christ and when we bring our sins to Christ, God will forgive us our sins. Uh, and, he, and eternally we, we, can be, we, know, we can know we are forgiven, but he doesn't always remove the earthly consequences of our sins. Our sins affect people around us and affect us. And so as we face the consequences of some of our sins and see that we can trust God is working a story to reclaim that, to restore that and redeem that. But we also have to know that um, sin is a serious issue. Uh, sin is very serious. And oftentimes we treat it very lightly. But when it comes to sin, we need to recognize how much it costs our Savior to pay the penalty for our sin, that he became sin for us so that we might become his righteousness. That he died on a cross and shed his blood because sin is so serious. And when we're tempted to take our sin and think of it not, not that big of a deal or justify it or rationalize it, we are diminishing what Christ has done for us. We are lowering Christ in our mind rather than exalting him and lifting him up. And our sin will affect us it will put a barrier between us and our fellowship with God until we learn to confess our sins and uh, but when we do God will forgive us and again first John 1 9 I think I quoted almost every sermon if we confess our sins God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness David was one who sinned greatly um, and being a public figure and a king of a kingdom it affects a lot a lot of people but he was also called the man after God's own heart. In his, when he was confronted with his sin, he did repent of his sin, and he, did, he was forgiven of his sin. But again, the ripple effects in his family uh, were a struggle. But here we have, he's going to his son, who has been shaming him in his rebellion. And, uh, and, and the, instead of just blaming Absalom and trying to just deal with it, and, and, and move on like he, he longs for God to do a work in it and then, then also the, the one thing as he's recounting his complaint well the next part when he says how long will you love vain words and seek after lies when Absalom is trying to usurp authority and take it from him David was one who, who never did that 
you know, David was anointed. He was called out of the field. He was forgotten by his, his, his dad um, when Samuel came to anoint him. He was called out of the field and anointed. And then he was brought into the service of Saul, uh, playing his instrument. And at no point in time did he try to kill Saul, even though he knew he was anointed by God to be the next king. Uh, and later on, when Saul is actually trying to kill David, and David has the opportunity to kill him, uh, he doesn't because he's like, I, I do not want to touch the anointed one of God. I will wait on God's timing. I will wait on God's timing. And then even in the phases, if we could just continue to look at David's life, every phase of his life, uh, he's, he patiently waits on God to move and to set him up along the way. And he's always waiting. Now, his son Absalom is like trying to take it uh, under his own control, trying to do his own thing in his time. And... Uh, and is making a mess of things and ultimately loses his life because of it. And as I was thinking about David, a patient, God-fearing, shepherd, boy, musician, warrior, king, um, how he got to where he is, and then thinking through as a coach and a pastor how things that I've learned to do as like a player or in my own life um, with sports or in, in my Christian walk, the things that I've learned through time and, um, of, of, and development, it's so hard to communicate the things that have now become instinctual part of my practice or my play uh, and help others become that. So as a volleyball coach, it's, it's, every year I get a little bit better about helping my players understand the game the way I understand it. But to go from a player to a coach, there's just things on the court that you see and do just because just you know the game if, and, uh, and then trying to communicate that uh, to my players is always difficult then as a, as a pastor I know there, there are things in my life that God has done and I want people to see Christ the way I see it and uh, him and, um, and experience the goodness of God but in both situations whether it's sports or, or even academics or work or whatever you're involved in but in, in faith there are things that you're going to learn through trial through through the difficulties um, that are shaping you that you just can't just say, hey, just do this, right? Like you just can't say, this is, this is what God's done in my life, so you just experience that. Like you can't say the experience and you go through everything that I had to go through to get to where I'm at. Uh, there's no, no magic formula. There, there's things we can learn from other people and there's truths and principles we can draw and try to apply them to our lives, but you have to go through the struggle to receive the reward. Like you're gonna have to walk through life and in your distress, you're gonna wanna call out to God, answer me God, work in my life. Uh, and, and in doing that, we need to then lift our complaint before God. Uh, in Psalm 142.2, it says, I pour out my complaint before him, I tell my trouble to him. In that, though, we also want to remember what Paul says in Philippians 4. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That we want to come to God rather than worrying and being anxious about it, holding it all in and on our own shoulders, we want to bring that complaint to God. And so I, in my opening phrase, I talked about emptying ourselves of our complaint. Um, to recount it, to completely just, I, I need to bring everything out of what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my mind. Like, God, you need to know this. This is my complaint. This is how I see things. These are the hurts and the pains and struggles that I'm facing. And just 
try to come to him, get to the place where you can then uh, be open-handed before him. This is my complaint, God. This is where I'm at. This is my struggle. Um, this, and sometimes it's the external, external um, struggles uh, others are putting on us, and sometimes it's just our, we are our own worst enemies, and there's a whole lot of stuff going in our heart and mind. But when we recall the Lord's faithfulness and then we recount our complaint, we don't want to just stay there. We don't want to just complain a bunch to God. We want to remember truth. We want to remember the truth, both propositional and practical truth that God has for us. He says, uh, but know, in verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call. So there's truth that, that God anointed David and called him for us. God saved us and, and has um, done a redeeming work in our life that he hears, that he's a God who hears and will answer, recognizing that God doesn't always answer in the way we want and the timing we want, uh, but that doesn't mean he's not listening and answering and working. Sometimes um, I definitely have seen in life that I didn't get what I prayed for or desired and then lived long enough to see that that was a very good thing. Anybody else know what that's like? Like God spared me of myself by not answering the prayer the way I wanted it to be answered. Instead, he, did, uh, he had a plan and a purpose for us. But remembering the truth that, um, that God is, is God, that God is good, that he is the revealer of all things, that he's provided his word, he's provided the church, he's provided people in our life uh, for us to uh, uh, lean on, to share each other's burdens. And, uh, and, in that, and then he says, some of the truths we've got to remember too. Uh, actually, let's, if you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 8. If we're talking about propositional truths, reminding ourselves of the goodness of God, uh, to get through our distress, we need to. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but they call this the uh, Romans eight, the great eight, for a reason. That there's so much in this passage that is key for us to remembering what God's doing and what God has done and what God will do. It starts off with this: Therefore, there is now no condemnation for th- those who are in Christ Jesus. If we just pause on that, we could do a whole sermon series on that that if you're in Jesus Christ and you've confessed your sins and he has forgiven you, you are forgiven and there's no condemnation. God does not look at you in his wrath or to pour out judgment, that justice and judgment has been poured out on his son and on the cross and no longer is over your head that you can be free of guilt, shame, and condemnation in Christ Jesus. But we get plagued by that in our lives, right? We go back and look at all our failures and our sins and and even though we've sought forgiveness sometimes we hold on to that guilt but he says there's now therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind of 
that is set on the, the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. All these things that he has accomplished through Jesus Christ and the gift of his Holy Spirit, he calls us to, to walk in the Spirit uh, and to set our minds on the Spirit. And this, this, is our, this is our task throughout the week that we have to do. Uh, we have to discipline ourselves to set our hearts and our mind on the Spirit, on the godly things. And we have to avoid the things that are of the flesh, of the worldly things. Uh, and and that's, that's the struggle, but we can only do the practical truth and be reminded of the things we need to do because of these propositional truths of what God has done and who God is, his character and his goodness towards us that he has provided again for us. So we have to remind ourselves of the, the, of the truth of what was done in Christ. He says here though, but be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. So he's reminding himself now of the goodness, the truth of God, and the things that he has to focus on. <clears throat> Anger is, uh, is, for me, this is a, a topic that God has revealed a lot to me and shown me and done a work in my life. And I, I've, I, I'm sure I've shared the story uh, many times, but I was angry as a young man. I was just always angry for some stupid reason. And uh, I developed as, when I was a kid, I just developed this chip on my shoulder and thought it was cool to be angry. And, uh, and I started to allow myself to just live into this, this cool, angry guy. And then I'd like to identify with my, my Irish roots. And I was, uh, had fire red hair growing up, and so I had a temper to go with it. And, and just the, I, liked, I just liked all that concept. But then as, a, as I started to mature, realizing more and more the immaturity of that. And then into college... Uh, I, I remember the t a time when I just, uh, ironically, it was a game of volleyball that I just just blew up, uh, uh, and and I just lost. I just I had a a temper tantrum as a you know eighteen nineteen year old, and um, and at the time like I just it was explosive, a little bit of rage, and then I storm out and I start walking. As I'm walking away from the gym, I just felt the embarrassment of what I just did and the shame and uh and i'm just sitting there like that that's not godly at all like that is just wrong and every there's so many it was just a game and it wasn't even like a justified reason to be mad um and and so in my walking away from that in my conviction and and repentance from my sin of anger i i i told god like um i'm gonna take some time to to reflect on my my anger but I, I'm going to take a break from a game that I love, volleyball, for a season um, to get things right. And then I was like, and if I ever play that game and get mad like that again, I will never play that game again because no game is worth my integrity and my testimony about Christ. And I, I, cause I, I, it was just, it was bad. And then God began to work from when I got to that place of, you know, there's a self-revelation of, of my own wickedness and sinfulness in that area 
and then a genuine setting my mind on the spirit to walk after it, God began to do a work in me and, uh, and change me from this uh, quick to anger to being much more patient, long-suffering, tempered. And, and I continue to strive. How can, like when I look at the word of God and say, what does a godly man look like and what is the godly attitude should be like and, uh, and, and seeing how God talks about the maturity uh, of a peaceable mindset and calmness uh, in our life that we trust God and not our own devices. And so I, I continue to lean into that to try to mind that. But he says, be angry and, and do not sin. Like our anger should be on things that, um, that anger God, but our action, the way we result with that, should not lead us to sin. Anger, human anger, is something we should be very suspicious of uh, because it doesn't do the work of God. Now, we don't, we're not doing a whole sermon on, on anger, so I won't go into all the passages on it, but, but know this, that if we hold on to our anger and we don't deal with it properly before God, it will turn into bitterness and then resentment. And the bitterness and resentment will destroy you and the people around you, uh, where we want to learn to bring our anger before God. And one of the things he says, ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. So he's telling himself, don't be angry. Like, in, if I, like he's, he's saying this, uh, I can be angry because they're rebelling against me. They're turning my honor into shame. But being angry at them, don't let me sin. Don't let me hate my son. Don't let me be resentful or bitter towards him not be happy with what he's doing but don't let me turn that into sin and then take on authority that doesn't belong to us in that and 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 project it on onto his son and one another thing he says so um offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the lord do the right thing live the right way so some of the things we need to do and mark said it last week said we need to preach the, the gospel to ourselves every day. Jude says it this way in verse 20 and 21, but you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So we need to constantly, again, recall the Lord's faithfulness and remember the truth of who God is and what he's done. Because we're reminded in 1 John 1, 7 that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. And then lastly, we're going to just look at how when we do this, we can rest in his peace. Verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So, Peace is such a, a, a beautiful term. In the, in the Hebrew, it's shalom. It means harmony, um, bringing things into uh, togetherness. Like So first and foremost, he's talking about peace with God, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to bring us into harmony with God. In Christ, he makes us in harmony with our creator. But apart from Christ, there's a dissonance, there's a, a struggle uh, that does that will never resonate with God on our own. We need Christ to come in and tune our lives uh, to our Savior. 
and uh, I oftentimes think about it uh, with, uh, with a musical instrument and a guitar, uh, if ever picking up an out-of-tune guitar and hitting a note, and you just know right away. I might be a little bit slower because I'm a little tone deaf, but um, for those of you who have that musical ear, you know right away, like if the note is off a little bit. Um, but when you then see the work of tuning the strings and bringing the guitar into uh, tune and, and, and the, you can create the harmony and the melody and a beautiful song can, can come from it. Well, that, that's the work Christ wants to do in our lives as we come to him and go through these recalling the Lord's faithfulness, recounting our complaints to him, reminding ourselves of the truth so that he can bring us into peace with him and with each other. Uh, <clears throat> Paul himself have, was coming to the end of his life and, uh, and looking for um, encouraging uh, Timothy. He expected an execution to come upon his life, but had the confidence of his ultimate peace and safety in the Lord. So 2 Timothy 4.18, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. As he says, I'm going to be executed. They're going to take my life. I'm in prison. I'm struggling. But he's saying, my rescue is sure, and my safety is sure. And so Paul could rest in his, his Lord and Savior because ultimately everything was in Christ for him. <clears throat> Jesus says it this way, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That when we come to Christ and we empty ourselves of our burden, that when we take on him, we find that life is lighter, life is easier. The Christian life doesn't start out easy. It's actually really difficult. But it gets easier as we really pursue Christ and we really put things into practice and we surround ourselves by Christians who help encourage us in the way, like the, it starts off difficult and hard, but it gets easier and easier. Walking the Broadway and sinning is easy, but it ends up very, very hard, very difficult. Uh, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll uh, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Uh, it always does that. But Christ will lead us through the difficulties. He'll be present with us in our struggles. He will walk us through this. And as we, we consider these, these four points, uh, I think we see it in Christ's life himself. Gaylord mentioned at the beginning about Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. In this, in this prayer time that, that Jesus had with his father, maybe in fact he was praying this psalm because he's calling out to God to hear him in his distress and he's reminded of God's faithfulness but those who he loves, who he came to die for his honor is his shame but he reminds himself to, to focus on the truth of, of the redemptive plan that they put in place that he could rest in peace 
knowing that his safety is secure, that he knew that he could endure the cross. In Hebrews it says, uh, consider him that he despised, like who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Like he was able to go through the worst thing because his focus was on the best thing. That he knew that the father was in control, that he knew that the resurrection was coming, that he knew that salvation and redemption for those who trust in him was going to be provided. And so he could say, yes, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Right? And, and we see that in Christ. And because Christ came and lived a perfect and sinless life, completing and fulfilling the law on our behalf, and then was the perfect sacrifice and being crucified on the cross, buried and rose again, he conquers sin and death and then invites us into a relationship with him. When he says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come to him and he will give you rest. That's to recognize our sinfulness and our sin and say, I can't do this on my life. I can't carry this burden anymore. Maybe it's, maybe it's a sin uh, of anger or uh, something else that you're facing that you recognize, I just need to lay this down and trust that Jesus has paid for it, Jesus provided for it, Jesus will take care of it, so that when we trust him, we can rest in the fact, fact that there is therefore now no condemnation in my life because of what Christ has done. And because Christ lived this out. And then it gives us this hope that not only has he already provided and made provision for it in his cross, but he remembers and promises to come back for us to make all things new. And so when this life is difficult and hard and our present circumstances may not change the way we think or desire them in this life, we can be like Paul, recognizing that though the execution is coming, the end is coming, the safety and the reward is eternally with our Savior in heaven, right, in the next life. And so we have this confidence and we have this hope in Christ Jesus. And so the question is, is do you have that hope? Do you have that confidence in Christ? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? And if not, in the quietness of your seat right now, you can trust Jesus Christ and say, yes, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to have the surety that I can bring my complaint my lament to you, knowing that you hear me and that you will answer me in this life and the next. And that is our hope today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm. And as David wrote these words so many years ago, he writes of a condition that all of us resonate with, Lord, that things aren't right, that there's struggle in our life, and that we need to remember that you are the faithful provider, Lord, that you will hear our complaint, Lord, that um, as we recount your faithfulness and remind ourselves of your truths, Lord, that you will lead us to a place of, of shalom, of peace with you and with others. Lord, I pray that as we sing this song again about being in the valley and going through difficult things, we're reminded that you are to be blessed because you give of yourself. You give us your peace. You give us yourself. And, uh, and that's our hope, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.